three in the first service, I think, last week, four in the second, or vice versa. Um, this morning, I'm going to um, do this now before, and so we, it, we gave a little bit more time last week, but what we're going to do this week is we're just going to offer this time each, each Sunday, and if uh, we're just going to do one at a time, uh, one each week or time, and if, when we have something, we're going to let people share it. And so this morning, I would love for someone, I know there were quite a few hands raised, and I would love for someone who is ready to share that this morning would love for you to take that opportunity and just share with us some of the great works of God so we can give Him praise. Do I have uh, someone that was ready this morning? All right, Mary. Yes, you are. Can you hear me? Because I talk late. Can you hear me? Good. When I think of miracles, I was a nurse for 47 years, and I have seen so many physical miracles, tumors that went away, um, lives that were healed in sickness, just so many things. But as I reflected on this, the greatest miracle in my life that I have received, that I've been witness to and lived is the day that I got saved, which was February 20th of 2000. Um, It was a miracle. I'd been raised as a Catholic and left that church at 21 and became a number of different denominations. I always joke I was a Methodist for eight years. Um, There were a number of things I tried, and church just didn't work for me, and I knew that there was a God. And I knew Jesus, but not like I knew I could. I knew it. So I quit going to church, and I just asked that God would let me know. He would show me. He would just show me. That was my prayer every day. And I was married and not a Christian. Neither one of us were Christian at that time. And um, I was at a time of being alone And it was one of those miraculous, there's a song called Rushing Wind by Keith Green. And it's the Holy Spirit rushing in and going through the temple. And I was the temple. And that was the biggest miracle of my life because I've never been the same. And it was in a moment. But it was with a lot of my own trying through all those years. And the second great miracle in my life is the sanctification process. That is a miracle. How God takes a sinner that says, okay, and walks, and I've walked through many fires, and there's been many, many trials, many trials. I'm living one now that's a challenge. It's bigger than a challenge. But I've never, I could not have drawn close to the Lord and received him into me and lived with him and walked with him without those trials. Scott always is good to tell us when you become a Christian, it's not like easy street. And it is not It's painful. Life is painful. And I've made some bad decisions. But the last three years, especially 
I joke about it's just me and God up on the hill. But I've never felt closer. I've never felt more loved. I've actually had one time in my life when I felt his arms around me, a physical manifestation just once. It was in 2006, but I'll never forget it because I know that's what he has. He loves me like a father that I never knew. I feel like I've renewed my bride of Christ vows with him over and over. Um, and the third great miracle to me is prayer. Walking with the Lord every day, starting my day, doing my readings, every one of them every day sparks something, and then I just spend time waiting and listening and hoping that he and I will be in communication. But all day long, I talk to him. He is so real. It's not to take something we never can see and we don't know like we know each other, but you know he's just right there with me all the time. It is a relationship, and it's the most wonderful relationship I've had in my whole life. It's the most love I've ever felt, and it's the most growth I could have ever done. So I go back to those three miracles in my life that are life-changing. And when I pray, I pray that there is not a Sunday that a person leaves here not receiving what God has for you on this journey. Sanctification is a process. We all look different. We all do it different. There's no right or wrong. It's following the Lord. And I pray for each and every person here that you will just receive the Holy Spirit of Christ and God and, and be have the whole triune God be your best friend and your best companion in this life. People are important. I understand that. But at the end of the day, there's, there's only God. There's only Jesus and his spirit. Out that we could go on and on and on, but we're going to. Next week you're going to hear more, and the week after that you're going to hear more. But here's, this, here's the thing that as we were contemplating doing this, here's the thing we wanted you to feel is that God is at work, and He's writing stories every day, all the time, and He's working in our midst. And sometimes when you come and you just sing music and you hear a sermon, it, it doesn't feel quite as interactive as what we just heard. And last week and next week and week after. I mean, don't you want to come to church and hear that God is working? That's what we want. And we want to believe that with all of our hearts. And I'm just telling you, folks, he's doing things, and sometimes we haven't stopped to give him credit and glory. Think about those ten lepers that he healed, and only one came back. We don't want to be among the nine. And I think we probably have been too much. We've sometimes focused on certain things. But every Sunday, I hope, I hope you're going to come every Sunday with an expectation that someone's going to have something to share. And again, it's going to take us a little while just to get to the hands of the people that had their hands raised last Sunday. But we're just going to keep moving along. Every single Sunday, my prayer is that God is going to speak through one of you 
and it's going to encourage the rest of you to be able to say, man, why am I not feeling anything? Why am I not stirred up? Where's my zeal for God and my love for God? And where are his answers to prayer in my life? That's kind of the thing that we want to feel as a church body, that God is moving in our midst. Um, if you're sick, we want to pray for you. If you have a spiritual struggle going on, we want to pray for you. If you are fighting a particular battle, we want to create an atmosphere where we're praying for each other and sharing these things and then testifying when God answers prayer. So many times God answers prayer and then we sort of move on like, like it wasn't an enormous deal. And I just think we need to make a bigger deal about what God is doing. Do you agree? All right. Well, this morning we're going to be um, in... We're, we're not doing our, our series right now because this morning I just wanted to say, I kind of felt like with the start of school and um, the college, lots of college students coming, um, everyone's back from their vacation. I could just feel that this was going to be a big Sunday. And I just really prayed a lot about where to go with this. And this morning we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5. And we're going to read about the story of the writing on the wall. And in that writing on the wall, I want to present to you two worldviews. And one will be the worldview of Belshazzar, and the other be the worldview of Daniel. And I really want you to ask yourself, which, which worldview are you living according to? I want to begin by making a statement. If you uh, happen to be new or uh, been here a while and you just hasn't been heard this clearly enough, so I want to make a statement, and it's just Hebrews chapter 4, 12 and 13. It's our conviction about the Word of God and how important God's Word is to us, and I hope it would be to you. It says in Hebrews four twelve to 13, for the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing the vision of soul, of spirit, joints, and marrow. Discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. God's word can pierce your mind and your heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed in the eyes to the eyes of him who must give an account. So sometimes under the ministry of God's word and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, God can just cut right into your heart and go, man, I, I feel exposed. And then you can also be, I feel healed. It's like God, God's the, the soul surgeon that takes the scalpel and cuts right to an issue, but he also comes with healing. And it's the beautiful story of what we believe God to be. So when you study the Bible, you reach into history and pull out stories of God that span the beginning of the world and the creation of Adam and Eve, moving through history, B.C., before Christ, and into A.D., Anno Domino, in the year of our Lord. And today we reach back 500 years B.C. into the powerful and massive empire of Babylon, the Chaldeans who conquered the nation of Israel, destroyed the temple of God at Jerusalem. And Daniel 5 brings us into a clash of worldviews. So King Belshazzar, son of the famous Nebuchadnezzar, represents the worldview that this world can produce happiness and joy for those who are powerful, who attain great wealth, the greatest wealth, experience the greatest sensual pleasures or hedonism. That's one worldview. He is self-absorbed, does not think of the true God as being real or relevant. If he is real, he doesn't see him as being involved in real time in any personal way. He simply ignores God, sees only the world, simply put, this worldview is we exist to enjoy this world, therefore get all you can while you can. That's the 
um, main worldview prevalent throughout the whole world. And then you have Daniel representing another worldview. Daniel, the humble Jew who came to Babylon as an exile and was forced to serve the state of Babylon, but he kept his faith in God even though education through the education and indoctrination of worldly ideology. The world's always trying to indoctrinate you to an ideology that's not of God. And Daniel went through the indoctrination process, but he wasn't indoctrinated because he had a love for God. And that was his worldview. Daniel represented the worldview of the one true God, the maker of heaven and earth, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which we now call Christianity. Daniel believes that this world cannot bring true and lasting happiness. He believes that only in God, the God of Israel, and His provision for sin can true peace come as sinners pardoned are pardoned for their sins, adopted by God, and live this life to do God's will in preparation for the life to come. And the true reward of being in the city of God, which is in heaven. Simply put, the Christian worldview says this. We exist for God's glory. And the sooner we embrace that reality, the sooner we find peace with God and purpose for this life. So one worldview says the purpose of this life is in this world. And the other says purpose in life is beyond this world, in the creator of the world. Very contrasting worldview. So Daniel chapter 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought The king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So here we have Belshazzar who loved to party like the rich and famous. And his parties were world class. He spared no expense. And like most ancient kings, he loved to show off his power and wealth and boast with his treasures from his great military exploits. And on this particular occasion, he wanted to boast of his superiority over what he believed to be the inferior God of Israel because he had beaten them in war and battle. And he wanted to boast of that superiority. And therefore he toasted to his mighty kingdom and his gods by drinking from the golden goblets from the temple of God in Jerusalem. So he mocks the holy vessels from the temple of God and makes a toast to his gods whom he deems to be superior. So how and what do you celebrate? We are made in such a way as to delight, to enjoy, to congregate, to share victories and dance at parades. So what gets you excited? What would you toast to? What would you go to a big rally, big party, a big event? What celebrations do you observe? Uh, It could be ball games, political rallies, 
Beer bong, ecstasy, success, belonging in a group, bringing, being part of a club, a hunting club, dressing in a certain way or taking on certain cause or joining in with a movement to find happiness and inclusion. Like we're all searching, everyone's searching. We do know this, everyone's looking for a worldview. Everyone's looking for answers. Everyone's trying to figure out how do I find happiness and joy and success. And like Belshazzar, who believed it was all in this world, I'm, I'm questioning you. And if you evaluate your life, what would you, how would you ascertain what is important to you? What are you really living for? So I guess what I'm saying is the fact that you're sitting here in a seat means something, but don't make it mean too much. Because it's very possible for you to sit in here and still pursue the world with all your heart. Very possible. Happens in every, every church. Okay, so I'm wanting, I'm wanting you to check a little more deeply. Okay. So a massive number of highly important people were invited to this party with Belshazzar and it felt amazing. They were all dressed up and never in their life had they felt more important. They were on top of the world, but they had no idea that their world was fragile and unsteady, and soon to crumble. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever reached a goal that you thought was important, and in that moment, you were included in a a select group of people, or you were chosen for something, and and you felt like I've arrived, and you you call home and say, hey, this has happened. Honey, guess what happened? I've been promoted. Or, hey, mom and dad, guess what? I got this honor, or I got a scholarship, or I'm in this group, or this club, or I'm now president of this, or that, or I just bought my own business, or whatever it is. There's some way that you measure success and the world measures success through you and for you and the world's applauding but you wonder is there an empty hollowness inside is it really as big and wonderful as it might at first sound so then we read in verse 5 immediately they're partying celebrating how great there are in their kingdom is immediately the fingers of a human hand. It's just like a hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. Let me state that again in case some of you didn't see it. A hand, just a hand. Just a hand appeared. Not a body. No strings attached. You know, do this over and under it. Just a hand appeared. And wrote on the wall. And the, um, the king saw the hand as it wrote. The king actually watched this happening. And the king's color changed. Uh, that shouldn't be surprising. And his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The proud, arrogant king who was boasting about his kingdom like that. The king called loudly to bring in enchanters, the Chaldeans and astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. It's like someone tell me what this means and I'll elevate you in my kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. Like the king was perplexed. Everyone was perplexed. Everyone at the party. The party stopped. It was unbelievable, shattering, unstabilizing. This 
Just so you know, this is a historical event. It's really happened. You need to know if you're going to take the, seriously the Bible and belief in God, then you're going to be uncomfortably confronted with the power of God and with miracles and the supernatural and unexplainable events that will be mocked, ignored, and even attacked by skeptics and those who are antagonistic to God in the Christian worldview. So, my suggestion is not to start a fight on every front, but to make the miracle of the resurrection the centerpiece of your discussion about miracles and the supernatural, rather than arguing whether or not dried ketchup stain on a napkin is the face of Mary weeping tears for the world. It's hot. People get in these debates and say, it was Mary. It was, they see things and they, I, I don't know. Rather than endless debates on whether or not someone saw something or not, they may have, they may have not have. I don't know. I can only know what I see with my eyes. But here's what I would encourage you. Rather than arguing over stuff like that, then I would encourage you to invite those who are willing to inquire to learn about the miracle of miracles that Jesus, the Son of God, became human, lived 33 years on earth, was crucified, died and was buried and rose from three days later from the dead and now sits at the right hand of God the Father. So if someone tells you about miracles, I would say listen to them. If it sounds wacky, then it may or may not have happened. It may have. And, and that's what we're testifying. We're testifying to things that people have experienced each week. And it's up to you to decide whether you think that or not. And it's, it has some to do with your worldview. And if you believe that kind of thing happens. But if you don't believe it happens, then you've got a problem. Because then that's going to cut short your belief in the resurrection. If the resurrection can occur, occur my friends... God can do anything. If God can raise the dead, and that's the one miracle that we need in order to be saved and right with God. So I would just suggest, rather than having uh, too many arguments about uh, miracles and the validity of individual miracles, how about saying, you know what, that is awesome. That is a great point. Listen to someone and say, that's incredible. Do you know about the miracle of the resurrection? And just take, take what they're talking about and run right to the most important event in the history of the world. And you say, wow, you know what? You know, I wasn't there to see what you saw. May, may, man, that's fascinating. Do you know about this miracle? The miracle of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And that on the basis of Jesus rising from the dead, that you and I can rise from the dead if we place our faith in Jesus, the Son of God, that God so loved the world that he sent his Son to die on the cross? Do you know? Do you know? Man, you've brought up an awesome topic. Do you know about the greatest miracle of all? And all of a sudden, everything becomes a road that runs to the cross. That's what it means to become an evangelist. When you become an evangelist, you learn you want to get to the cross with people. You don't want to end up in these arguments with them all the time. You're not trying to argue those points. What you're trying to do is say, you know what? Our God is great, and I want to tell you about what he did for his love for us. And you run to the cross. You take what they're talking about. That's, that's what an evangelist does. Evangelist is like your... your, um, your uh, GPS, and once you set a destination in there, even if you get off, it's totally, t constantly, it, it, it will pester you to death. If you, like, you get off the road and you say, I just want to go to the bathroom. Leave me alone. It's like recalculate, recalculate, go around, turn left, go here, get back on track. And that's the way we ought to be as believers, where we like, we know where we want to go with you. We want to go to the cross with you. And we use the means and opportunities. And someone may be way off trail, but we know, how, we know where we're going. We want to go to the cross. We want to take people to the cross because that's where they're going to meet Jesus. And that's part of our, our worldview. So, 
Belshazzar was terrified. And it's reasonable response to a hand, just a hand, appearing and writing on a wall, words that no one can understand. And no doubt it says his knees knocked and his limbs gave way, a very appropriate response. And so God sent a message to the king, but no one was smart enough to interpret it. He promised wealth and power to anyone who could make sense of it, but no one could. And Belshazzar did not respect Daniel. He didn't even respect Daniel's God. And even though Daniel and Daniel's God were right there, he had no interest in them. And this happens every day. People have knowledge of God, but they suppress that knowledge. And the pull of the world is so powerful. So powerful is the pull of this world that people climb over all that they know about God and run downhill towards the city of destruction. And some people have very little knowledge of God, so they quickly climb over little mounds and bunkers. They don't have a lot of knowledge, but they climb over what they do know and run through little mounds and bunkers. And others have more knowledge of God, and they climb over hills, even great hills, through deep woods to run after this world. And then there are even those with who have great knowledge of God. Like they spend their whole life around information and knowledge. They brought up in the church. They have a lot of knowledge. They have great knowledge of God. And they, they're willing to climb over mountains and bust through walls, tearing down all that they know in order to get high above their knowledge of God to see the world in full view. And its lure and its smells and its attraction take over their lusty hearts. And with one step downward, they begin the fact decline and slide towards the pleasures of this world. It's powerful pull. It's amazing what people are willing to climb over to get to this world. The amount that our bodies are so naturally inclined to love this world that it's amazing what we are willing to overcome and what knowledge of God and the privilege and benefits of being raised around the knowledge of God. And sometimes we will just cast aside all that because the pull of this world is so strong with its smells and bells and taste and touch and feel and the sounds and it looks like everyone. You just look upon the world. It looks to the first appearance like they are having the time of their lives and I am missing out because of my knowledge of God is, is stifling my sensory perceptors, I live to fulfill what my sensory perceptors need to be going off like rockets. And the pull of this world is so strong. So that people are willing to cast aside what they know and run full tilt to satisfy their bodies. Feed their appetites for carnal pleasures. And some even pretend to maintain a knowledge of God. But they only want a form of God that will permit them to indulge in their pleasures. It's amazing how many people will say they're Christians. It's amazing. And they don't live anything like Christ. They, they live like Christ has no place, but they want, that, they want the backup. That's their backup. Oh, I'm a Christian. God approves of this lifestyle. Oh, I'm good. God, you know, you can serve God and do this. We receive anybody. You come into our church, we're open to anyone, and God won't put any demands on you. That's not Christianity. That's a false God. That's not Christianity. Most people abandon God altogether and find it easier to enjoy the world without the whispers of conscience or little voices that sting the soul and mind like a wasp stings the skin. Some people are willing to go through. Do you know that um, you ever seen a dog run through his, um, the little shock zone, his little barrier? If it's something good enough on the other side, he'll run through it. He's running through and he steps, he steps. Sometimes, some dogs get smart enough to know that they go through it full steam ahead and they just go 
faster, the faster there's less pain. Some of them are stupid. And they slow down at the bear. So that takes them like three minutes to go through and they're like making their way through it. And they go through it because there's something on the other side they want. And that's the way Christians can be. Christians will cast off God if there's something on the other side that they want. And they'll run through every barrier and knock down every boundary. I, I said Christians, what I meant is people who have knowledge of God. And they'll run through the barriers that God had put up there to keep them from doing that. So, in verse 10, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There's a man in the kingdom, like a messenger of the gospel. There's a man in the kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. Now, she was a little confused on that because there aren't holy gods. There's one holy God. But she didn't know. She's applying her worldview to the knowledge that there's some guy out there that's seems to know something about what's happening. In the days of your father, who was King Nebuchadnezzar, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him, in this man. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. So it's shocking to think that Daniel could be unknown to Belshazzar. It's shocking to think about. His, he'd done so many things for his father, and he's totally pushed him knowledge of him out of his life. Daniel was a great and respected man in the eyes of, of the great Babylonian king. Yet it shows how quickly we go our own way. And young people often dislike the influences of their parents and teachers, or, and they just can walk, walk past that knowledge and information. Yet the king brings up a bit of information that had been ignored by others, and she remembered from her past this man named Daniel, even though others did not want to remember the man of God. There is a man in your kingdom, she says, who knows God. He knows the true God. He knows the Hebrew God. He served your dad. He interpreted dreams. He's still alive. He lives just minutes away. We could run fetch him. Maybe he can explain what's happening. Maybe his God will answer our riddle. Then verse 13 says, Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I've heard of you, and the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing, make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. In other words, all the educated educators didn't have the right answers. They're out there educating everybody, but they have no clue what was really going on. But I have heard that you give the interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Like I will honor you from my worldly wealth if you will help me understand this. So Belshazzar's sudden interest in religion led to bringing Daniel. And the story will reveal that Belshazzar did not have any interest in bowing to God, but he was looking for a God that would bow to him. And he was hoping for God's help, but was not interested in God's reign. You ever been like that? You want God's help, but you don't want his reign. You want God's uh, benefits, but you don't want to bow. And that's, not, that's a deal breaker. 
That's just a deal breaker. Just so you know, you don't bargain with God. You just say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Do with this mess I've made up called my life. And I just give it to you. And that's, then it says, um, okay, so then, uh, so Belshazzar was hoping for God help. He wanted a friend in high places, but he didn't want a supreme leader. God is not interested in helping you do your will. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to break it to you. He's not interested in helping you do your will. Your will will, tear, will destroy you. God is eager for you to join him doing his will. The Lord's prayer does not go something like this. Lord, my will be done on earth and yours in heaven. The Lord's, will doesn't go, the Lord's prayer doesn't go like that. In Belshazzar's worldview, he was at the top and on the throne. And that was his happy place. In Daniel's worldview, God was on the throne and Daniel was honored and blessed and humbled to serve the Most High God. That was Daniel's happy place. Years ago, Daniel fought to be on the throne when he was little. But then he came to realize that only God can be on the throne. And then Daniel spent the rest of his life serving, joyfully serving the true King of Kings. So who is on the throne of your heart today? Perhaps you were here today and open to hearing about what God has to offer. The world has a lot to offer, but what does God have to offer? That's what you're, maybe you're asking. Which worldview is accurate? Which worldview do you choose and chase? And Joshua was another man who chose the Christian worldview. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Jo- Joshua asked people to choose. He said, you need to choose. You need to choose. You've heard about these two different worldviews. You need to choose today. You need to choose this day. Whom will you serve? But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's like throwing it out there. It's like, hey, um, every time you come to church, someone ought to be asking you, which, which do you choose? Do you choose Christ or the world? Because those are the only two options. And so that's what, that's what we're trying to get at. Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for him yourself, your wards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. So Daniel can read it by, by God, by God's Holy Spirit. O king most high gave Nebuchadnezzar your father kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would be whom he would he killed and whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he raised up and whom he would he humbled. But in this he's talking about King, his dad, King Nebuchadnezzar. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he felt he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. You know the greatest thing that ever happened to King Nebuchadnezzar was he was brought down from his throne. Do you know that's the greatest thing that can ever happen to you? Is that you get brought down from your throne. I I hate to tell you this, but you have no business being on a throne. Jesus belongs there. Jesus belongs on the throne. And the sooner you you come down off that throne and quit pretending like you're something that you're not, and you cry out to God and say, Lord God, I'm no king. I want you to be my king. I'll never be happy. I'll never serve a worthy cause until you're on the throne. And you call out to God and you ask him to come into your life, into your heart, and to sit on that throne. Oh, what a special day it is when God sits on the throne of your heart. And then he said he was driven from among the children of man. He was humbled, brought down. King Nebuchadnezzar was. 
And he said he was driven from among the children of men and his mind was made like that of a beast and his dwelling was with wild donkeys. He fed on grass like an ox and his body was wet with dew from heaven until he knew, until he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdom of mankind and sets over whom he will. What will God have to do in your life until you know that he is the most high God? Parents, it's a scary thing when we pray for our kids, isn't it? It's a scary thing when we pray for our kids and we say, Lord God, whatever it takes. You see them start to go sideways in life. You see them hit those teen years and they start making different decisions, early teens, late teens. Maybe you see it beforehand. Maybe you see it afterwards and you begin to cry out to God and just like, Lord God, it's not going well for my son. My daughter's making horrible choices and it just tears me up. It tears me up. And you begin to pray. It's like, Lord God, whatever it takes, take them down. Take them down to their knees, whatever it takes, oh God. And sometimes it's a long ways and a hard journey down to your knees. But it's the most important place you'll ever get when you're down on your knees and before your face, before the living God. And parents, you need to please stop praying for your kids to have an easy life. Please stop praying for praying for them to have, make straight A's all the time. Please stop praying that they'll have success in this world. That is not what's going to help them. That may be the very thing that destroys their soul. They may head down the path of success in this world and the world starts to applaud them and they find joy and comfort and they start having so much of this world and they don't want God anymore. They don't want you. They don't want your counsel. They don't want what they taught learning up. So my friend, what you need to be praying is they would be brought low like King Nebuchadnezzar was. They need to come down off that throne and give that throne to the true and living God. And that's the only way they will ever find peace, ever find happiness. And I will tell you one thing, you will be miserable parents. If your kids find worldly success without God. You can say, oh, my kid's done this. My kid's great. My kid's a doctor, a lawyer. My kid runs a business. My kid is so smart. My kid's honors all the time. My kid gets this. My kid's an all-star. My kid pitches for the all-star team. My kid made it. He's a starter on the varsity. My kid got a college scholarship. He's so fast. He's so strong. My kid's in the NFL. That's nothing. If the wrong person's on the throne, that's nothing. So what we're praying is the same thing that had to happen to mighty King uh, Nebuchadnezzar, but wouldn't happen to Belshazzar. And you, son, Belshazzar, God said, have not humbled your heart through you knew all this, but you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vassals of this house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But in God, whose hand is your breath and whose all your ways you have not honored. Daniel was not motivated by worldly power and wealth. He reminds Belshazzar that his father, the great Nebuchadnezzar, had broken down and humbled God. And he came to the place that he acknowledged God and made his name known. So, okay, I'm kind of out of time. And I want to cut to the chase. You have two options. World view number one has you on the throne. And you're determining where you're going to run with your life and what you're going to do and how much of this world you're going to commit yourself to getting as much of this world. And you don't mind a God who won't uh, bother you too much. You're all right with a God who's good with, I go to church on Sunday, sing songs to God, and then I go do my thing the rest of us. That's not Christianity, by the way. That's some religion you thought up. That's a popular religion in the world. Little bit of God, a lot of me on the throne. That's not Christianity. 
That's a worldview that Belshazzar had and God destroyed it. And if that's your worldview, it will be destroyed. And I hate to tell you this, so will you. You will be destroyed, my friend, if you don't come down off that throne. And then there's this other worldview, and it's the worldview that places God on the throne, and it's a worldview that finds joy and it finds acceptance with God and it finds pardon of sin. It brings meaning into your life, and it's the happiest thing in the world because you're no longer in charge of your success. Someone else is. You've turned it all over to God, and He has promised success. And He says, I will give you everlasting life, pardon of sin. I will give you guidance through this life. As you walk through this life, I will be with you, and I will lead you and guide you. So I want to give one quick last analogy. I was at Valley Ballyhoo last night, and I was just thinking about how all this fits. And I'm walking around Valley Ballyhoo, and there must be six million tents out there. And everyone in every tent is like, come here, we'll make you happy. Come here. There must have been 40 churches, 20 ministry groups, every kind of, if you're lesbian, we got a tent for you, gay tent. We've got a um, mountain climber tent, fishing tent. You want to be fish tent. We got um, sports tents. We have intellectual tents, uh, future farmer, future doctor, future lawyer. Come here, pre-med tent, um, party girl tent, sorority, party boy tent, all the frat houses, this ministry. That. You walk around there and your head's splitting and you just, everyone's yelling, come here, come here. They're handing out candy. They're handing out drinks. They're handing out everything. Come under our tent. There's only one tent you need to come under, my friend. That's the tent of Jesus Christ. You walk around in a confusing world, and even among the Christian tents set up there, it's so confusing. Like, which church? This one's church. Like, we're the best. We're the best. We're the best. It feels, it just feels like a head spin. I'm not saying, I'm glad we're out there, folks. So please don't say that I'm saying, I'm glad we're out there. I'm just saying the person traveling around out there has a lot going through their head trying to figure out what in the heck is going on. Where am I going with my life? And I'm calling you under the tent. Of Jesus. Come unto me, Jesus said. Come unto me. And he will begin, he will save you, and he will give you guidance and direction. And I'm also, I want to say this last thing, this last thing for this morning. If you're, if you've been out, if you're really part of the, the people of the inside, the people of God, and maybe you've been running around and, and you really haven't spent much time with God lately, and Jesus is saying, come Come under my tent a little bit. We need to talk about what you've got planned. We need to talk. You need to bring your plans and, and let me tell you what I've got planned and make sure we're lined up. And some of you need a good realignment in your life right now. You just need a realignment. It's busy. I know it's busy. You hear all those noises. This thing's calling you. This thing's calling you. Put your kids here. Do this with them. Go here. Take this job. Move here. Go to this church. That church. Well, they said something I didn't like. Go to that church. Well, I don't sing the songs I like. Go to that one. It's just like, it's just a head spin. So what you need this morning, if you're not a Christian, my friend, I invite you right now to come into Jesus Christ. Come to him and say, Lord God, will you have me? And the answer is yes, he will. He says, yes, look at the cross. Look what I did for you. Of course I'll have you. I gave my son for you. I'll have you. And then if you're a Christian and kind of wandering a little bit out there and you're not sure and you're, you're not sure you're lined up, then I just simply say as we sing a closing song, you just pray to God and you just ask him, Lord, show me how to get my life back under, under your leadership and your guidance. I've been, I've been fighting for that throne. Just let it go. Just let it go, okay? And praise God. Okay, you know what? I'm looking at, um, let's just, oh, man. Clock's so pesty. All right, yeah. Well, I'm going to pray, and, 
You just sit right there. Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. We're going to close like that. Oh, God. Man, we've made a mess when we're on the throne. And I just pray right now, God, if there's anyone here today and they're just feeling a lot of noise, a lot of people calling for their attention, would you just silence all the competing voices right now? And in your heart, as you stand here, would you just say, Jesus, I need you right now. If you've never committed your life to Jesus, would you just call upon him right now and say, Lord Jesus, I want you in my life. I need you in my life. And I surrender my life this morning to you. I believe that you died for my sins out of love for me. And I'm responding right now. Please, please, please don't push back that hand. Oh, Lord Jesus, I take you into my life. That's all you have to say to begin with. He'll, he'll lead you from there. I take you, Lord because of what you did for me on the cross. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, I take you. And if you've been drifting a bit and you need a realignment, then just pray right now. Lord God, I'm ready right now. I'm ready to declare this day. I'm going to set my plans in front of me. My plans for today, my plans for this week, my plans for this month, for this fall. Help me to reevaluate the commitments I'm making. And to make sure that I've not put you on the edges, but I've put you at the center. I redeclare my need to put you at the center, Lord Jesus. If you would do that right now, Lord, I put you at the center of all my plans, all my money, all my decisions. Will you lead and guide me? I pray right now for anyone who's sick, anyone who's lonely, anyone who's hurting anyone who's walking through recovery right now as a, as a believer, anyone who's fighting an addiction, Lord Jesus, will you please bring healing to our church? Bring healing to someone, God. Bring a healing right now to someone. I know there's surgeries, pregnancies, all kinds of things, God, where we need your hand involved. We look forward to what you're going to do, Almighty God, in Jesus' name, amen. You're dismissed.